Welcome to the 1000 Days Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davey. I am not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am someone that doesn't drink alcohol. I am an amazing father, husband, son, friend, leader, lover, and master coach. And I spend every minute of the day helping people live kick-ass lives just like right now. Booyah! How's it going, people of the world? Hope things are going well. Today's just going to be a ragtag affair of uh, sharing some insights that I had last night while I was reading. So um, we're going to get some guests back up and running in the next couple of weeks. Um, The monologues continue because uh, I had to go away, do a bit of work, spend some time with my son, so I didn't get any guests in. But they'll come back uh, in the next couple of weeks for sure, right? But for now, we're going to do a few more monologues, so... I hope they're helpful. And email me at 1kdaysober at gmail.com if you would like more sprinklings of monologues in with interviews with people or you would just like me to shut the hell up and just interview people. Just give me some feedback because, you know, very often when you sat here in front of this microphone, you have no idea what the uh, what the public wants because um, I can't see you or communicate with you. So let me know, please. That would be great. So last night I was uh, very lucky that um, Liza took Zia to bed at half past seven. And typically the way that my world works is I like to be in bed by 10 o'clock lately because if I'm in bed at 10 and up at seven, I know that I'm going to get eight hours of sleep. I wear an aura ring, O-U-R-A, wear an aura ring and it tells me and I know that I need at least nine hours in bed to get eight hours sleep. And one of the biggest hacks that I've had recently in my own well-being um, and my own health has been sleeping eight hours a night or as close to it as I can. So I try to get to bed by 10. And what I do in the hour leading up to that from nine to 10 is I like to read. And what I do is I get myself six books and I read uh, 10 minutes of each book, taking notes. And then I finish with 10 minutes of reading fiction. And normally I go to bed and I haven't got too much on my mind. <laughs> Last night I did because I had a really good, uh, a good reading stint because when Liza took Zia to bed at up past seven, I was like, what am I going to do up between, you know, between up past seven and nine? Uh, so I did a bit of food planning for today, worked out my grocery sheet for today. And then I was like, you know what? I have a choice here right now. I can watch shit on Netflix uh, or I can read and learn something, right? And I decided to read and learn. So I read for two hours last night and I had some really, really good insights, you know, so much so that when I woke up this morning, the first thing that I said to Liza was, wow, I had some great insights last night. And um, so I wanted to share them with you because um, I know when I listen to podcasts and the host or their, if they're interviewing themselves, something comes up and it's like, oh, wow, yeah, I'm going to look into that. I'm going to think about that. So that's what I'm going to talk about today. All right. So the first book I'm reading is The Whole Brain Child, 12 Revolutionary Strategies to Nurture Your Child's Developing Mind. Why am I reading this book? It's by Daniel Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson. The reason I'm reading this book is for the longest time now, many years actually, Liza has been repeatedly asking me to read more books around raising Zia because she knows I read a lot and she's like, why don't you read about raising Zia? 
And uh, I never really had an answer other than thinking I knew it all because I already have a 20-year-old, so I've already done it before. And when Jude was born or before he was born, I read a lot of parenting books for Jude. So I didn't really have a good answer to her. But eight months ago, I started my master coaching training with the Elementum Coaching Institute. And it was a six-month training. And one of the things we had to do was to create a master project that would take place over that six months. And I chose to build a more loving and harmonious co-parenting behavior um, with Liza, okay? So what was happening was Liza was making most of the decisions when it came to the core fundamentals of Zia's well-being, and I just trusted her to do that. But in conversations, that's not what Liza needed. Liza needed to feel like we were joined up on these issues. So for that six months, I was like, okay, let's do a co-parent exercise so I get closer to Liza on this to help fulfill Liza's needs. And at the same time, and for you guys listening to this, I don't know if this ever come up for you before, but at the same time, I realized that I was, I was running away from my daughter. So Zia's five, so she was like four then. I realized that I was um, avoiding her. I was, um, if I could play with her after finishing work, I would find myself washing the dishes uh, or hoovering up or cleaning up. And I, and I was finding that I wasn't sitting down and just experiencing her. And I remember when Jude was young, the same thing happened, except I didn't turn to the dishes or cleaning. I actually turned to alcohol. So I would come home, Jude would want to play, and I was so tired and exhausted that I would just say, I'll play with you later, and then I would drink, and then I would forget about it, or it just wouldn't happen, right? And and I know through the work that I've done that there is definitely some projection there from the absence in my life of my father. And so there's another reason I wanted to do that project was to get closer to Zia. So the co-parenting project with Liza um, to be a better co-parents for Zia and be more present for Zia and to really, yeah, just really be present with her was why I started to reread children's books. And this whole brainchild book uh, is one that has been recommended by Liza. Uh, the first thing in this book that's really helpful to me is uh, during the Elementum Coaching Institute, it came very apparent that as an individual, I spend an extremely long amount of time in my head. I'm very safe in my head. So my master coaches and my fellow master coaches and the coaches who were who were teaching us at the time, Preston Smiles, Christine Hasler, Stefanos Sifandos, and Lexi Panos, you know, their feedback to me was, Lee, you're always in your head. That's your safe space. Intellect, rationality, logic. Okay. That's where you go when you're scared. That's where you go when you're afraid. That's when you go when you're challenged, when you're pushed. And we need you to be spending more time in your body. All right. And for the longest time, I struggled to understand that concept. But over six months, it stuck. And I now understand and recognize and can see when people spend too much time in their head and when they're not in their body enough uh, through my coaching. And definitely being too much in my head really uh, contributed to me uh, being addicted to alcohol for so long. And I actually, I believe that if I had learned 
to get used to and more comfortable with my body around feelings and emotions a lot earlier, then the road to sobriety would have been less rocky for me as well. You know, I'm, I'm amazed that I managed to stop drinking just by being in my head. When I, when I see and experience what it's like to feel and to use your intuition and to experience energy and energetic trans, uh, transferences, it's incredible in terms of growth. Now, what the whole brain child book helped me formulate that in a little, in a different way, but really helpful was the left and right brain philosophy, right? So the left brain being uh, the part of your brain where you are more rational, more logical, which is where I like to spend the most of my time, and the right brain, uh, which is um, more emotional, um, feelings, uh, creativity, art, that kind of thing. The left brain, more structure, mathematics, Excel spreadsheets, that kind of thing. And I'm more left brain than right brain, you know? And also they talk about the upstairs brain and the downstairs brain in the whole brain book. So the downstairs brain being... The limbic brain, emotions, uh, your intuition, uh, your fight or flight, you know, that those type of things. And then your upper brain being more about planning and strategies and uh, really um, developing coping strategies and regulation and all that kind of stuff, right? This is the newer part of your brain. And what the whole brain child book helps you to really get home. And here's an important thing. I always knew this, but reading it really helps. And Liza always used to say to me, Lee, I know you don't want to read this because you think you know it, but when you read it, it really does speak to you in a different way. And she's right. So if you are thinking that you know it all and you don't want to read something, still give it a little read because it, it does make a big difference. Or it certainly does for me. So you understand that when you're dealing with a five-year-old, their upper brain or their left side of their brain, okay, this rational intellect, all that kind of stuff, it's not formed yet to its uh, full maturation. And it won't be until their mid-20s. But especially when they're four or five, it's just nowhere near um, fixed up. It's almost like you've got a two-story house, the bottom story being your limbic emotional brain. Um, and that is all like beautiful and decked out in the in the best furniture you can get and upstairs is just full of scaffolding and why is that important well when your kid is screaming blue fuck and she's obviously in her right brain or a lower brain let's just use left brain or right brain to to help things out she's obviously in her right brain and then you turn around and say let's say she's cut her finger on a paper cut but it's a really tiny paper cut and she wants a band-aid and she's screaming and shouting and then you come along in your left brain mode and say, ah, oh, it's not that bad. We're not going to waste band-aids on a little cut like that. Get over it. You'll be okay. While she's in her right brain and you're in your left brain, that's just going to lead to a clash. Like she doesn't have the biology to understand what you're getting at and to put it into play. So she basically the left brain and the right brain, they're just not speaking to each other as well as they should be because the left brain's not fully functioned yet. So what you need to do in that instance is, is actually deal with right brain emotion with right brain emotion, okay? And to just let them experience their emotion and to meet them with empathy and compassion and love. And if she wants a freaking Band-Aid, 
then give her a Band-Aid, okay? Then at some point in the future, you can then talk about the event, introduce story, which is more left brain activity. So you could say, okay, hey, let's talk about how you made that paper cut. Right, so you was reading Frozen, you picked it up, and then what happened? And as you're talking, you, what you're doing is you're helping you're helping her to tap into a left brain and then connect her left brain to her right brain, which is her emotions, which then allows you to put in there, yeah, and these band-aids, <laughs> I mean, I don't know how you 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 get it in there, but these are band-aids. They actually, yeah, they cost money, and uh, we don't want to be just putting them on any old cut. But the time needs to be right to have that conversation. And there's a skill involved in that as a parent versus a child. Okay. There's a skill involved in that. And I think that is, um, that is something that as a parent you want to know about. I think it's really important. And yesterday when I was reading the book, I, it was funny because I said, thought to myself, wow, even though your right brain and your left brain is are fully formed by the time you're in your mid-20s, it doesn't mean you know how to use them. And here I am reading an adult, a 46-year-old man, reading a book about called The Whole Brain Child, which is teaching me, a 46-year-old man, how to respond and deal with and behave around a child. Yet, until recently, I was that child right? I was that child. So really, there's a irony in the fact that an adult is reading a book and, and millions of adults around the world, if not billions, are reading books on how to deal with and communicate with children when they themselves are children and they're dealing with adults who are children, but they're not using the same strategies. So for example, in this household, Liza is um, exceptional when it comes to interacting and communicating with Zia at Zia's level, at getting down physically at her level, at treating her with the same respect, treating her like she is a human being, not like she owns her, and talking right brain to right brain. Excellent at it. But when it comes to talking to me, she finds it more difficult. However, when we are both triggered, I am a child. There is a, um, a part of me in that moment that is activated. And that part of me that is activated will be a part that was frozen in time when I was a child due to some form of trauma. And that part of me doesn't want to be communicated with in terms of left brain rationality and logic or as an adult, because that part of me is not an adult. That part of me is a child, and it needs to be spoken to in right brain, to right brain, method of communication, love and understanding and empathy. So I've often said to Elijah in the past, for us to have a more conscious and loving above the line uh, relationship, we need to speak to each other as if we're children. Now that really gets to Liza. Like, it's like, I can't talk to you like a child because you're not a child, you're a man. Um, and the work of Richard Schwartz in Internal Family Systems, and please listen to the podcast that we've done together, um, tells you otherwise, right? There is a part of us that we like to think is adult, which is our self. 
our true self, our core self, the, the part of us that is uh, the, um, comes out when we're our most creative, when we're our most connected, when we're the most communicative and um, we have the most clarity, when we're in the zone, right? When we are self-led, our soul is activated, if you want to use that word, right? It's the real essence of who we are, right? But then there are split personalities, right? We, there are lots of different parts of us that come up. I have a part called the thief. I have a part called the artful dodger, right? I have parts that get really angry. I have parts that want to cry and scream. I have parts that don't like to be controlled. I have parts that want to be a little princess. And all of these parts were younger versions of myself that were never communicated to effectively right brain to right brain. The respect wasn't there. The love wasn't there. The communication wasn't there. And this isn't my parents' fault. They didn't know how to communicate with me at that, at that age, right? Like most parents, right? So if you want to get anything out of what I've just talked about with a whole, whole brain child, learning and understanding that little toddlers don't really have a fully formed left brain, right? Um, would really help you to know that as much as you want them to listen up and to get it and to do this and to do that, they just can't biologically do it. It's not that they're trying to, you know, vehemently defy you. Like that's biologically not what's going on. And if you want your child, and this is super important, if you want your child to really respect you and to really love you, and most importantly, grow up so they really love and respect their children um, and choose the right partners in their life themselves, then get into this stuff, right? And really start thinking that when your partner is going off on one or your boss is going off on one or your friend is going off on one or your mother or your sister is going off on one or your, your work colleague is going off on one, that really you're dealing with a child, right? You're dealing with a child and then put in your communicative strategy to deal with that child, right brain to right brain, boom, okay? It will save a lot of fucking aggro, I'm telling you. So when it comes from, you know, living life above the line, I guess I'm telling you, treat everybody like their kids. It will do you really well. So that was a whole brain child, right? Another book that I'm reading then that really interestingly at the same time had a parallel is The Drama of the Gifted Child, The Church for True Self by Alice Miller. Um, and it, isn't it interesting how we end up reading books that have the same, you know, they all inter, intertwine with each other, really, really important. And in this book last night, uh, on this little chapter called The Visual, Vicious Circle of Contempt. Alice Miller was telling a true life story of how she was uh, one day following uh, two adults down a path in the woods, and they were both eating ice cream off a stick. And they had a two-year-old kid running after them, desperately wanting to have an ice cream. And one after the other, the parents would turn around and say, no, you can have a little bite of mine, but you can't have your own ice cream because it's going to be a mess, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and this kid uh, kept crying, kept wanting more, and they kept doing this. And then at some point, they both started laughing at the kid and started saying, look, you know, there's no need to make this thing such a big issue. Like, don't make this thing a big issue. And they just started laughing at this little child. And... Um, Alice Miller was uh, saying that in her work in therapy, uh, she sees this happen a lot, right? And what is happening in that moment is the parents are passing on 
the suffering that they experience as children at the hands of their parents to their children, right? So Alice Miller's saying, I mean, let's just use the ice cream as a, as a metaphor, right? Is at some point in their lives, their parents um, treated them with contempt, treated them with disrespect, treated them like they owned them, and behaved in a way where their needs weren't met. So in that moment, the child didn't even want the ice cream, really. The child wanted inclusivity. The child wanted to walk along the path with their parents with this ice cream in their hand, right? Like it, it was it was more than just wanting a bite of ice cream, right? There was something more there. And, and Miller talks about this concept where as parents, we feel like we own our children. We own them. They're our property. And we treat them like property. And we were already much, much bigger than them. Like I said earlier on, like Lice is really good at getting down physically to your child's level, right? So, you know, that is a good practice. Imagine how tall and how dominating you are to this young child. Imagine from a man's perspective how your voice can scare them, how your untrained and uncontrolled anger and frustration affects them, right? Imagine how your sarcasm and your contempt and your disrespect affects them, okay? Especially as they're growing and they're evolving and they're learning, all right? So, you know, what I got out of that is, okay, am I treating Zia like she's my possession? Do I kind of like take the attitude that I am the boss, I have this status hierarchy, and she is well low down in the pecking order? Yes. Even though I feel that I'm super present with her, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, I now am aware that this dynamic of owning and possessing a child and putting in this command and control hierarchy, this has been now brought to my forefront by Alice Miller last night. And now I can spend some time thinking about that. Now, this only happened last night, but I can now start reflecting and journaling and asking myself, hey, where are you showing up in this command and control hierarchy with Zia? Where are you showing up with this command and control hierarchy with Jude, my 20-year-old? They're both children, but I both do both of them lightly. How can I be disrespectful? And are you treating them with disrespect and are you treating them with contempt? Are you passing on the suffering that you received from your parents when you were young? Are you passing on the ridicule? Like a good example is I can be I can be really sarcastic um, sometimes to my children and I can use, let's say, caustic language. Now, this is something that I've really batted out of myself in the last eight months, right? However, it was definitely there and it definitely pops up from time to time. And I'm really lucky that Zia is the type of child who will turn around and say, don't speak to me like that. Okay, don't speak to me like that. Now, I was never allowed to say that when I was younger. That would be a sign of disrespect, right? Now, Zia is allowed to do that. Don't speak to me like that. She said no boundary. And it allows me to say to myself, okay, um, I just spoke to her in a way she doesn't like. In that moment, if I then turn around and say, I didn't speak to you like that, or you've got it all wrong, or use my power in some way to make me right and to make her wrong, I am treating her like a possession and I do have that command and control hierarchy, right? The best way to deal with it 
after listening to Miller is actually to be like, oh, wow, I am having and being hit here with a right brain complaint. I need to deal with it from a right brain place of being. She's obviously upset and frustrated and anxious about the way I've spoken to her. Don't go all left brain logic on her in this moment, right? Because that will lead to confusion for her, disrespect, and it might even stop her from having that boundary, right? And we, we wanted to have that boundary. Any man listening to this who has a daughter who is in the back of a car fiddling around with some teenage boy in, in the future uh, and, and he tries to put his hands down her knickers down the front, you're going to want her to have a boundary. You're going to want her to turn around and say, hey, no, I don't want you to do that. What you don't want her to do in that moment is to let him do something she doesn't want to do because your dad, when he was younger, right, eroded those boundaries by telling you that you weren't allowed to have them, that you was wrong all the time in the feedback that you gave them, okay? So now I am reflecting on, hey, do I have a command and control hierarchy and am I passing on my wounds vicariously to my children as a way of bypassing the wound? not feeling it, okay? Now, this is where shadow work is really, really important, right? Doing inner child work, doing internal family systems work, finding a coach, sitting down and saying, hey, I want to talk about this and seeing where it leads into the shadows, into the darkness. Really crucial work, okay? And I'm here to offer you that. I am a master coach qualified through Elementum. Um, I excel in these areas. I've done a lot of work in there, and I'm willing to be your guide as you go down there. If you want to, email me at 1kdaysober at gmail.com. But when you do that work, it is so important because then you can get a closer understanding, a more intimate understanding of who you are and what happened to you when you was a child. And then when you have those emotional releases as from a point perspective from the child, then you're then able to communicate with your children from a place of self and not from a part that's also a child, okay? So Drama of the Gifted Child by Alice Miller, Whole Brain Child, really helped me last night a lot. Now, another book that I'm rereading, actually, is I and John, a book about men. And the re reason I'm rereading this book by Robert Bly is, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I, it, I, it's a long time ago since I stopped uh, drinking alcohol. It's over 10 years ago, right? And helping people to quit alcohol, it seems odd to me because I'm so far removed from when I used to drink alcohol. You know, I really am. And um, I also find it really, really difficult. I love coaching. I love personal coaching, that one-to-one -one vibe, right? And I find it really difficult to uh, attract people and to get people working with me who have problems with alcohol, right? Really difficult. So I am creating a way of helping men to become better men and to become better at being men, okay? This doesn't mean the death of strive or 1,000 days sober. Um, helping people to quit alcohol is still a really important part of my, um, my drive and my mission, but it's not really where I am right now, right? Like where I am right now is helping men. And those of you that have listened to the 1000 Days Sober podcast since its inception, you'll know that I'm I'm less about having a podcast on whether you should moderate alcohol or not, or what alcohol does to your system, or 
Uh, I know anything to do with alcohol. I'm more about the reasons you drink alcohol in the first place rather than playing and fiddling around with the alcohol, right? So this this is why I'm re rereading Iron John because I really believe that I can make a big difference in the world by helping men to become better men or become better at being a man, right? I really, really do because I see the impact me sorting my shit out has on Jude, Zia, and Liza. Um, it's amazing. So like, if I could, if I could like multiply that by x then great i also see um and um know a lot of women who are in rela relationships with men who just aren't changing and of course that leads to a subpar life experience for the woman and i find that really sad so the more that i can reach out to these men the better so that's why i'm reading iron john and so then it becomes well how can i help how can i help men in what way can I help men? And last night, I read a section that was profound to me the first time I read it, and even more profound the second time. And this is about katabasis. So katabasis is a Greek word for descent. Katabasis is an assignment in the Strive Method, a six-month workshop uh, that helps you become people that don't drink alcohol. And what katabasis is all about is at some point, in a man's life. I mean, this will happen in a woman's life as well, but I'm going to use male terminology, right? Because it's men ultimately that I'm going to help more of in my coaching. A catabasis is it's all about the time in your life where you wake up one morning and it's like, fuck, I can't cope or I'm struggling or I don't know what's going on. I don't know where I am. I don't know who I am. I don't know what to do, all right? Now, those thoughts and those feelings for men are being suppressed in childhood because it's not very manly to have those thoughts, certainly not very manly to talk about those things with people. You just grit your teeth and you get on with it. And when you grit your teeth and get on with it, when you're asking, when you need to be asking those questions, the results are catastrophic, right? The results are catastrophic. They end up in divorce, separation, losing children, losing jobs, uh, or even worse, l existing in a marriage um, with kids who don't love you, a wife that doesn't love you, and, and a job that you hate until the day you die, right? So for me, catabasis, this descent, is all about at various stages in your life, knowing you're going to hit the ground. You're going you're gonna to wander into the darkness. You're going to be in the still water. You're going to be in the ashes. You're going to be in the dirt, right? And for me, I've had many catabasis in my life. It's not just one unique moment, but there are two that stand out to me. The first one is my divorce over 10 years ago now. Is that moment when you realize that the person that you love and you and this unity and this bond that you've created is not going to survive because you just cannot stop fighting and the fights are getting worse even though you're trying to stop them. So even though you're reading books, you're going to therapy, counseling, nothing's changing it. And you look at her and you love her and you look around your house and you see photographs of you together, things that you bought together, your whole history together. You look at your child and you think, fuck, if I split up with this person, I know the child is going to go with her mom and I'm not going to get to see my child every day. 
You might look at your dog and think, what's going to happen to my dog? You might look out the window and think, what's going to happen to my car? You might start thinking about, fuck, if we split up, then she's going to have 50-50 of everything. How am I going to live on 50%? You may think to yourself, shit, if I leave her now to be the right man and do the right thing, I've got to leave home because my children need a home. Where am I going to go? How am I going to manage? How am I going to survive? What am I going to do when she meets someone else and somebody else starts fucking my wife? What am I going to do with my ring? What am I going to do with a wedding album? What am I going to do when she meets somebody else and that somebody else starts shouting at my kid? What if he hits my kid, right? What if my kid calls this person dad and you start having those thoughts and feelings and you do nothing about it or you do something about it? You put your hand up and you say, Whoop, I need some help. Eight months ago, eight, nine months ago, me and, me and Liza were talking about divorce. We were not getting on. We would consider ourselves at that time two woke individuals deep in the self-help kind of like community, really doing everything we can in our power to be better communicators, to be more present, to uh, meet each other's needs, all that kind of stuff. Yet we were just fighting all the time and we were triggering each other and we weren't able to find a way out. So we got to that moment where we said, hey, what would happen? What, what if we weren't meant to be together? Are we, are we grown up enough to look at that together on how we could move forward separate? And we decided at that time to have that conversation. Now, when you're having that conversation, you're not that far away from it all ending, like a 10-year relationship ending. And in my perspective, I'm thinking, well, I'm going to have two ex-wives on two different continents. I'm going to have two children on two different continents. Where am I going to live? I'm not even a, an American citizen here. I'm not even an American citizen. I'm not even welcome in this country. And my five-year-old daughter will be in this country. And of course, I will need to be with her and near her because she's five and she needs a dad. But if I'm near my five-year-old, then what about my 20-year-old? Well, he's okay because he's 20. And then the guilt and shame around making that decision. Well, he's okay. He's 20, right? And then the same old, same old stuff that I talked about before. That in itself was another catabasis, very differently. The first one was it ended up in divorce. I went down into the darkness. I went down and I made that descent and I did it very much alone. This time, eight months ago, when I went in that descent, when I went down the hole, when I went into the darkness and the shadows, I didn't do it alone. I reached out to help, I reached out for help. And I got four guides, Stefanos Sifandos, Alexi Panos, Christine Hasler, and Preston Smiles. And those four guides introduced me to 93 other beautiful souls, each one of them guiding me through my catabasis, through my descent. Okay. Now, whether or not you are suffering a crisis of meaning and purpose, whether you hate the job that you're in, but you can't get out of it, whether you have lots of dreams tied up in your mind and you don't know how to get them out and get into action, whether you're in the wrong relationship, whether you're running away from your kids whether you're, you know, whatever it is, if you have just woken up as a man and you're starting to think things are not quite right, if you're drinking, drugging, um, constantly thinking about having sex with other people, masturbating over pornography every minute of the day, staring at every single woman that walks past, if you have that sexual, leaky sexual energy, if you are fighting all the time with your partner, if you are lonely and single and cannot get a partner, 
if you are just, yeah, just getting wasted all the time, if you're just watching Netflix all the time, if you're procrastinating and lethargic, it could be a sign that you are in your descent, that you're in the catabasis, okay? Now, the beautiful thing about a catabasis is you're eventually going to ascend. Not always, but hopefully you're going to ascend. And how you ascend is incredibly important. And I want to be there to help you to positively disintegrate. Think about a caterpillar that builds the cocoon. When it builds a cocoon, it's going into that descent. It's going into that catabasis. Now, the caterpillar actually disintegrates. It turns into mush. And then that mush actually becomes a beautiful butterfly that eventually leaves the cocoon, the ascent, and it's transformed, right? Mother Nature guides that process. And to an extent, Mother Nature guides your process. But I want to be there and I want to guide men through that catabasis, okay? And that was like a clear, clear thing to me. It was like, holy shit, this is what I'm here on this planet to do. Men going through divorce, men dealing with blended families, men in jobs they hate, men uh, really struggling to keep their shit together because the financial pressure is on them. Men who are not allowed to feel their emotions, who have suppressed and repressed, men who are drinking all the time, men who are going out every weekend with their, with their mates and acting like kids, drinking 20 pints, throwing up, shagging women on the side when they're actually 46, 47. They need guides. They need help. And they need help from other men, right? So, and other men who have experienced catabasis similar to theirs. So that's what I'm going to be doing. That's what I'm going to get into. Um, and it was beautiful to read that again last night with I and John uh, by Robert Bly. Then two more books to tell you on, and then I will uh, let you get on with your day. The other one that uh, I'm reading is Die With Zero, Getting All You Can From Your Money and Your Life by Bill Perkins. Now, Bill Perkins is a very successful trader, gas trader, and uh, a high-stakes poker player. And I was lucky enough to interview him in the Bahamas a couple of years ago. Actually, Jude came with me, and Jude interviewed him for a bit as well, which is quite cute. And he's a lovely fella. And I bought the book because I am creating a documentary on high-stakes poker, and he's a part of it, and I wanted to learn more about his philosophy. And it's, it's a really good book. It's a really good book. Again, it's one of those where the concepts that he's teaching you are not concepts that you um, are not aware of, but they bring them to the forefront of your consciousness and they start to become really important. And one of the things, well, I won't go through the whole book, but what he talked about last, last night, which really helped me, was filling your time buckets, right? Filling your time buckets. Um, so what he said was, I want you to... Get yourself a piece of paper and write a line across it, okay? And on the left-hand side of that line, put your age. So for me, it's like 47. I'm going to be 47 soon, right? So 47. And then on the left-hand side, put when you think you're going to die. And actually, there's a Die With Zero app. And one of the things that Bill Perkins does is he's figured out when he's likely going to die because there are apps out there that will tell you. And he has a countdown on his phone. So every time he looks on his phone, it reminds him how long he has to live to remind him how important it is to get the most out of today. Right? So that's interesting for you. So what I did was I just said, okay, I'm going to separate my buckets from 47 to like 82. 
um, into five-year increments. So my first bucket was 47 to 52. My second bucket was 53 to 58, 59 to 64, 65 to 70, 71 to 76, 77 to 82, and then 82 plus. One, two, three, four, five, six. So I've got seven buckets. And then he didn't tell me to do this, but I've done this. Below this, I put Zia's age. So in the next five years, uh, Zia's going to go from five to 10. That's my bucket number one. Bucket number two, 53 to 58, Zia's going to be 11 to 16. Now that bucket's important because actually at 55, I can draw my pension which is crazy to think about it. I don't know about you out there who are in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Do you still feel like you're a teenager? And I do in my head, right? It's amazing to know that in bucket two, um, in 10 years' time, I'll be, draw I'll be able to draw my pension. 59 to 64 is a key bucket for me, I think, because, you know, 59 to 64, Zia's going to be 17 to 22. So she's at that age at 17 to 22 where she can look after herself. Why is that important? Well, think about wanting to travel, all right? Let's say me and Liza wanted to be world travelers. Well, if we chose to be world travelers and we traveled in the next 10 years, our first two buckets, then Zia's age between five and 16, which are her prime school years, right? So in those prime school years, we don't really want to disrupt her. So traveling around the world between, you know, for us, 47 and 58, might not be the thing that we want to do. Now, fortunately, we've already done a lot of traveling, right? Thanks to poker. So it's not like we haven't seen the world. We have. But if we want to revisit and see the world again, then the buckets 59 to 64 and 65 to 70 become our ideal traveling. And I would actually say that if me and Liza did want to see the world again on our own, then 59 to 64 is our main bucket, not 65 to 70. Why? Well, what Bill Perkins talks about in this book, which is really gets you thinking, is time energy. Life energy is really important. So basically, let's just, what you need to do with these time buckets is alongside these time buckets is you need to write a list of all the things you want to do in your life, right? So let's say you want to ski up every mountain in Europe. Just making this shit up, right? You want to ski down uh, every mountain in Europe. Well, do you want to be skiing down every mountain in Europe when you're 82 or when you're 77 or when you're 71? You don't, do you? You want to be skiing when you're at your most peak physical endurance. If you want to run a marathon, the same. If you want to do a triathlon, the same. And if you want to travel around the world, I would say you want to be pretty healthy and you want to be looking after yourself, right? So... Actually, traveling around the world now is more important than traveling around the world when you're an old age pensioner. And why this is really important is, is this um, discernment between saving up for our retirement and not doing the things that we want to do today because we're so afraid of saving up for that retirement. You know, he says die with zero because imagine if you died with X amount of money in the bank which means you actually worked in your younger years when you didn't have to for two to five years more than you had to. Like you literally could have gone around the world serving, but you decided to save for your future and now you're dead. Or you save for your future, you retire and you have all this money, but you really can't do much because you're unhealthy and you're not looking after yourself. All right. So what I'm thinking about now with Diary Zero, which is really important, is 
when you think about money, when you think about time, when you think about health, health really is the important driver. So not eating sugar, not eating coffee, fasting, taking saunas, going for walks, running, looking after my mental health, eating the right foods, reducing inflammation. All of those things are really important now because I can see that my most important bucket for traveling um, and just me and Liza having a great time is going to be 50, 90, 64, maybe 65 to 70. But I've really got to look after myself. I've really got to look after myself in order for me to make the most of those years. Okay. Now, 47 to 52, 53 to 58, the years that are right in front of me right now, right? I need to sit down with Liza and say, hey, Liza, what are the things that you want in life? What are the things that I want in life and where do they drop in these buckets? And even without having that conversation, I can tell you that it's really important to Liza to have a house in California, nowhere else, a house in California with a wicked white picket fence that she can call her own, that she can stick a Christmas tree and she can decorate it and she can have traditions and she can grow a family. We've even talked about having a bigger family, right? Now, for those things to happen, they have to happen soon. Because if we adopt a child, you can't adopt a child, for example, when you're 55, which is my second bucket. So I need to adopt a child when I'm in the first bucket, which is 47 to 52. To adopt a child in the US, you're talking $70,000. So I need to save $70,000. And to buy a home in California, I'm going to have to have a free credit score and six figures to put down as a deposit. I need to save that money up. And right now I'm currently in debt. So I need to get rid of that debt. So this is really important because now you can say to yourself in those first two buckets that the most important thing for us is to earn more income, reduce our expenses, and to pay our debt off, to accumulate enough money to adopt a child, if that's what we decide to do, and to buy a house, which means short-term instant gratification, things like, I don't know, on Saturday night, we don't go to the pub anymore, but on Saturday night, we're going to go out and do this, or we're going to do that. We now are going to look at that and say, well, okay, is there a way that we can connect and have fun without spending our money? Now, sometimes you're going to want to spend the money to have those experiences. Like when Spider-Man is released in December, I'm going to want to pay the money to go watch Spider-Man, right? But on Saturday night, I want to go out and spend some time with Liza. I could just drive down to the beach with her, right? I could just do something that doesn't involve money, right? If the sole focus is to fill those two buckets up. So time buckets, really important. Understanding and having that long-term perspective and planning out your life. What are the things you want to do? What are the things that you're going to need to be physically healthy to do? Get them done right now. And then those things uh, in the future um, that you can do when you don't need to move around, that's the type of things you need to be doing, right? So having that think and thought. And for some of you, it might be... Um, it might be, fuck it, I've got no debt, but my kids are all going to flee the nest within the next bucket, and I want to take them all to Korea on a family holiday. I'm going to go $10,000 into debt to take them to Seoul so I can have that experience seared into my memory because I know that $10,000 debt is not going to hurt me because I've got the rest of my life to pay it off. That is what this guy is talking about in this book, which is really, really good. And then finally... The Laws of Human Nature by Robert Greene. Similar type of thing as Bill Perkins. Last night, I was reading the chapter on the four signs of short-sightedness and strategies to overcome them. So 
what Robert Greene is saying is one of the laws of human nature is we're so tapped into instant gratification, which is, you know, addiction to alcohol is instant gratification. Like if you want to stop drinking alcohol, then the way to do that is to say to yourself, okay, what's the value I'm getting out of alcohol if I look at value through the lens through long term? If it's long term, right, as we've been talking about with these time buckets, then we want to be as healthy as we could possibly be in those years, right? We don't want to be a slave to alcohol, okay? So when you look at value from alcohol through a long-term perspective, you can see it actually provides you with none, and you don't need that instant gratification hit, right? So Robert Greene talks about those four signs of short-sightedness and strategies to overcome them, and I think it's really cool. And he talks about in here our difficulty and challenge in thinking about and talking about death, about scheduling your will, about understanding that you will die at some time, so it's really important right now while you're on this finite space on Earth to fucking get your shit together, right? Um, he talks about that, and it's really important. He also, I, I underlined this, uh, he talks about Abraham Lincoln um, and during the Civil War and how he had a certain strategy and how so many people were urging him to change his strategy and he didn't. Now, they were urging him to change his strategy because in the short term, shit was going wrong. But he knew long term because he'd done his planning that, yeah, he's going to get a few bumps along the road, but everything would work out okay, and which eventually it did for Lincoln, right? And it says here, a weaker man would have given into such pressures and the war would have ended very differently. And I underlined that and I asked myself, Lee, are you sometimes the weaker man? Are you sometimes... Um, changing and making decisions and pivoting because you're suffering from instant gratification. You need instant gratification because you're suffering pain and suffering right now, but that pain and suffering that you're experiencing right now is needed in order for you to reach your long-term goal. Like, Lee, are you doing that? I don't have an answer for you, but that reflection I think was really important. Another line I underlined here was, repressing the thought of death and aging creates a continual underlying anxiety and feeling organically connected to who you were in the past gives you a strong sense of identity there's that shadow work again understanding who you were as a child and allowing your child to have those emotional releases to heal your trauma feeling organ organically connected to who you were in the past gives you a strong sense of identity really important uh, another another piece that i underlined that i wanted to share with you um, awareness and this links in with the time bucket theory. Awareness that a year from now, this current problem you are experiencing will hardly seem so important will help you lower your anxiety and adjust your priorities. Knowing that time will reveal the weakness of your plans, you become more careful and deliberate with them. I'll say that again. Awareness that a year from now, this current problem you are experiencing will hardly seem so important will help you lower your anxiety and adjust your priorities. I told you that I was in debt right now, right? Um, now. One of the things that I talked to Liza about is whilst that feels uncomfortable right now, and this is what Bill Perkins helped with, with Die With Zero, what will be mine and Liza's combined income in five to 10 years? Well, it's likely, very likely, that mine and Liza's income in five to 10 years will be triple or quadruple what it is today. Okay? Now, think about that. Think about that. Think about how easy it is for a couple to get into debt, 
and to think to themselves, shit, we're in debt and this is how much debt we have. And this is how much money we're bringing in. And I'm the only one working. So I've got to work myself into the ground to get rid of that debt. Versus, hang on a minute, in five to 10 years time, our income is going to be great, much greater than what it is today. Because Liza doesn't work today. She looks after Zia. But, and she's doing her training to be a functional medicine practitioner. And when she's finished her training and she starts to earn, there is no reason why Liza will not run a successful six-figure business, right? So there in the future is, is a different perspective and a different scenario to what we have today, which means, well, actually, I don't really have to pay all my debt off today because actually I can pay much more of it off in the future. Or maybe knowing that you're going to earn much more money in the future, let's say you don't have any debt today, that you can take some debt to buy yourself that house of your dreams because you know in the future you're likely to earn more money, right? So there are just some of the things that came out of this book that I thought was really uh, important. He says, uh, and I'll leave on this, uh, you derive even greater pleasure from reaching your long-term goals and overcoming adversity. This expanded relationship to time will have a definite effect on you. It will make you calmer, more realistic, more in tune with the things that matter. It will also make you a superior strategist in life, able to resist people's inevitable overreactions to what is happening in the present and to see further into the future, a potential power that we humans have only begun to tap into. And he ends with a Ralph Waldo Emerson quote, the years teach much which the days never know. The years teach much, Richard Days never know. So there you are, folks. Last night, two hours of reading. That <laughs> is what filled my mind, and I share my thought to you. The Whole Brain Child, 12 Revolutionary Strategies to Nurture Your Child's Developing Mind by Dan Siegel and Tina Bryson. The Drama of the Gifted Child, The True Search for True Self by Alice Miller. I and John, A Book About Men by Robert Bly. Die with Zero, Getting All You Can From Your Money in Your Life by Bill Perkins, and The Laws of Human Nature by Robert Greene. The fiction book that I'm reading, by the way, is called Monsters. It's the third of a trilogy called The Ashes Trilogy. Uh, this is book three, and it's by Ilsa Bick. And it is a uh, post-Armageddon-style, Walking Dead-style thriller stroke heart supernatural horror it's amazing her writing is incredible and yeah i'm enjoying that at the moment as well so here's what i'm going to leave you with all right here's what i'm going to leave you with um all of this stuff that i soak into my brain uh, that i reflect upon that i put into practice and the things that work and the things that don't um all comes out in my programs, my workshops, my seminars, my personal one-on-one -on -one coaching, right? Um, I'm really good at getting you to think and to reflect and to get curious um, about where your life is and where you could possibly be. Uh, the way that we're doing that, some different strategies at different price points for you. Uh, the lowest price point, okay? Um, we are currently, currently pre-selling my book, uh, The Strive Method, uh, 30 days to control alcohol before alcohol controls you for the next 30 years, right? It's a book that is going to have 30 chapters in there. You read one chapter a day with the sole goal of not drinking for 30 days. You just know and feel that you can do it 
and what it feels like to do it. Okay. Um, not, it's not teaching you to be sober for 31 days, 32 days or for life, 30 days. Okay. Um, it's a really super great book. All of the principles and philosophies have been taken from the Strive Method. And we're going to sell that book for $4.99. And that is available right now for $3.75, which is 25% off if you pre-order it. Okay. So the pre-orders are going out on email, but you can email me at 1kdaysober at gmail.com. If you're not part of our email list, I'll make that happen. And we can get you the book for $3.75, which is less than a pint of lager, right? So pre-order that book. Um, the other way that you can join us is by joining Strive. Um, Strive at the moment is a monthly subscription model. What do you get for that? Well, you get access to the Strive method. The Strive method is over 120 online coaching videos separated in six different phases. Stuck, thought, ready, initiative, vigilance, and evolution. Okay. And through those phases, we help you to understand why you have a problem with drinking, why you can't stop drinking. And in the first three months, we don't ask you to stop drinking. We just work with you understanding why. Then three, four, five. For the second two months, we help you to stop drinking. And then in the last month, we help you to integrate back into society and start building that rocket so you can fly to Mars, right? Um, so you get access to those videos. You also get access to our Strive membership area where it has a lot of videos which are not released or seen by anyone outside of the public view. You get once, once a month, I teach um, a philosophy or a principle from the Strive Method live on Zoom, uh, 60 to 90 minutes, and I, and I do that live and take Q&A. And we have three online get-togethers a week with our Strive ambassadors, Stella, Mike, and Nikki, okay? We welcome people from all over the world. Uh, the vast majority of our people are from the UK, America, uh, and Australia, okay? What else do you get with that? Yeah, you get access to our groups um, on Marco Polo. So we interact on Marco Polo. We have the main group. We have a female-only group. We have a male-only group. And we have smaller intimate trio groups uh, of three to four people. The trio group. We try to be three, but sometimes if we've got an odd one out, we'll have four people in it. Okay. And you interact on this video recording device and you, you talk about what's going on for you. You'd be vulnerable and that type of stuff. Uh, that is $99 a month. Cancel whenever you want. And if you think the whole thing's a bag of shit, I'll give you your money back. And thirdly, work with me one on one. Uh, so currently, I try to work with people in three month packages. But if you want individual sessions, we can look at that as well. But the biggest breakthroughs come when we work with each other more long-term, okay? I don't have a fixed price on these things. It really does depend on how much you are earning in terms of uh, how much you pay. Uh, but reach out to me at 1kdayssober at gmail.com and if you want to work with me personally, and we'll make that happen, all right? Um, if you love this podcast, not just this episode, but this podcast in general, tell people about it and go onto your podcast player and rate and review it. I'd be really appreciate it. Anyway, much love, everybody. Take care of yourself. Dish that drink. Reach out for help and support, okay? You can catch us on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. Follow us on our email list or just come and join us in our Strive family, all right? Much love, everybody. Take care.